Welcome to the Health Fix Podcast, where health junkies get their weekly fix of tips, tools, and techniques to have limitless energy, sharp minds, and fit physiques for life. Hey, health junkies. On this episode of the Health Fix Podcast, I'm interviewing Josh Deck. He's an ex-paramedic and holistic nutritionist who specializes in gut health. He actually has a podcast as well called Reverse a Bull. And really, what we're going to be talking about today is how... 93% of the leading causes of death in the United States are chronic inflammatory diseases that are related to poor gut health. And poor gut health is on the rise. We talk about it in the podcast. We'll give you more details. But here's the thing. If you're thinking that your gut health isn't optimal, maybe you've got some chronic inflammation, maybe you have been diagnosed or told you probably have IBS. Well, guess what? This podcast is for you. It's going to give you some insights into what's going on in the gut health world and what folks like Josh Deck are doing to help folks reverse their chronic gut health issues and even reverse autoimmune gut conditions. This is a fabulous podcast, very informative. I highly recommend you spend some time listening into this one and take good notes. Let's introduce you to Josh Deck. Hey, all junkies. I have Josh Deck on today, and we're going to be talking about gut health, but in particular, because I know there's a lot of gut health conversations, and I don't want to be like, oh, it's another conversation on gut health. Nope. This one's talking about reversing some serious stuff like Crohn's, colitis, inflammation, things of that nature, IBS. I'm going to let Josh tell you all about that. But nevertheless, Josh, welcome to the Health Fix Podcast. Janine, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure as well, because I haven't had the full conversation. You know, we've had the basics of like what's what's great for the gut on the basic level, but we've never really talked about reversing things. And I think mm. a lot of people, especially in, in in my world, when I start talking with, with patients as, as a naturopath, they're like, can you really reverse things? I think I need X, Y, or Z medication that is being presented to me on the television all the time. So mm-hmm. it's it's refreshing to hear that there are options. You have a 90% success rate. Holy cow. So we're going to get into that. But first and foremost, I like to ask folks, why the gut? We know you have mm. a story. Do tell. What's, <laughs> what, sure. what did you have going on? And, and give us a little background on, on your personal story so that folks can kind of relate and, and, and see where you're coming from. Yeah. Sort of my villain origin story, if you will. Um, <laughs> So it's it's a funny situation. I've had gut issues most of my life. Um, I remember as little as 12, 13 years old, I was having problems, digestive issues, loose stools, food sensitivities, the works. But you know, I was diagnosed with IBS like everybody else. It's just IBS. It's a syndrome. It is what it is. It's genetic. Your parents have gut issues. Call it a day. Uh, and so that was me right through till I was 14, 15 years old. I started getting acne. By the time I was 20 years old, my back was covered like every inch I had some kind of cystic or external acne coming out. It hurt. I was in martial arts and wrestling and grappling. So like I was in constant pain, getting hit and punched in cysts. Like it's not comfortable. Mm. Um, And so that was a rough ride all the way through. Even in my early twenties, I became a paramedic. That was my first career. And I went to go see the local doctor. I was working in Newfoundland, just a little, little uh, small town there. And I went to go see the doctor and he goes, well, scrub, try a scrub, try the St. Ives, try this, try that. They made me worse. Mm. And so I had no idea what was going on. And back again, when I was diagnosed with IBS by 12 years old, give or take around that time, my mom had bowel issues her entire life. And so one night we were actually at home 
we went out, had some McDonald's and she came home and she was having a lot of gas and bad pain. And she laid on her left side. Normally she'll pass the gas, things go away and she's fine. She's done that her whole life. But this time it got worse and worse and she got really sick and got really nauseous. And my stepdad says, we are going to the hospital. She refused. He says, nope, he picked her up and made her go. And thank God he did. They brought her into emergency surgery that hour said another two to three hours. You might not have made it. She had a perforated bowel it was actually leaking bowel contents into her visceral cavity, which of oh. course leads to all kinds of septicemias and all kinds of things. And that can be very lethal. And so she had a colostomy and a bowel resection done and a lot of issues that way. My dad's had gut issues his entire life. So as far as I know, it's genetic. It wasn't until I shifted careers from paramedics to personal training and long story short, I ended up here in gut health. And it was because I was actually at a, a conference working another job. It was a trade show. And I heard somebody talking about the gut microbiome and how, you know, bottle fed and breastfed makes a difference and vaginal and C-section makes a difference. And the information they were throwing out hooked me. And I thought that, that right there, that is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I was, it was love at first sight. I was hooked. <laughs> and so I saved up a few years, went back to school and I became a nutritionist and I started specializing in gut. And here we are, my gut issues. I've never had a better gut. My skin is clear. The acne was a candida issue, which came from my gut. Uh, we've done so much amazing stuff. And as you mentioned earlier, we, I specialize now in Crohn's and colitis, thought to be an impossible disease. Take the drugs and hope we don't cut out your colon. And we have a 90% success rate in reversing these and putting people in full clinical and histological remission, which means their colonoscopies, their CT enterographies come up with zero signs of disease. It's really quite amazing. You know, you hear of these stories, right? And and a lot of people will ask me, of course, like I mentioned before, is it legit? Is it is it real? Is it is it snake oil? You know, I, I need to know, you know, if this is a if this is real deal. And I'm like, well, I I believe it. Now, have I focused on that in my practice? No, I I'm all about hormones, but in the case of the gut, it is always the foundation anyway. We're always gonna work some level of that. Now, being a paramedic, I'm guessing you had to have seen a whole bunch of gastro cases when you're mm. picking people up and transfusions and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And see, that's the thing I was thinking about. I'm like, gosh, it makes sense. You know, I would imagine like paramedics would choose to directions because of all the crazy stuff you see just mm. as a paramedic. How's mom today? What's going on with mom? How's she doing? Mm -hmm. So she's still having some issues. And a lot of that's due to a lot of her own stuff. You know, we have food addictions, we have personal stuff, we have dietary habits, we have cravings, we have stress. Uh, my youngest brother is turning 16 here coming up and he's got Asperger's. Um, and so everybody, there's just a lot of things. And so even though she's improved, she still deals with her own issues. And so that was something that's tough for me as a practitioner, you know, because I, that actually contributes to imposter syndrome for me. I've not told her this. Hopefully she doesn't hear this episode, <laughs> but we often go through that. I'm like, well, if people think I can't even fix my own mom, you know, how are they are going to trust me? But the reality is we only have control over ourselves. You know, I don't hear from her for a few months and we'll come back. She'll go, well, I had XYZ happen and I really binged and Christmas was really hard. I'm okay. That is what it is. And so I apply the same things to my clients where if you follow the programs and follow the recommendations, you have the discipline, you have the, I've had people fail because it turns out they actually have food addiction. So we put them off and say, Hey, go talk to somebody first, deal with this first, deal with the roots of this. And then we can come back. Right. So there's a lot of layers to this. And so I say 90% success rate. That is to the people who complete the program, stick to it and do it. I'd say about 40, 40% of that 90%, probably give or take 
don't actually follow through on everything and get kind of better or mostly better. But the question I get asked often is, if I do this, like how soon can I go back to eating like normal? I said, what is normal? Right? Like how do you have to exercise every day to stay fit? Yes. And the same thing applies to your gut. So um, those, those stats are the ones who complete things through and through, but you'd be surprised at the, the vast majority of people dealing with what is a debilitating disease who don't follow through and do things to the T. Yeah. No, it's, and it's wonderful. You bring that up because any practitioner out there, we all have that kind of stuff. I mean, I could name, you know, multi countless people in my family that I try to tell mm -hmm. them things and they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. You just can't treat your family. It is what it is. But <laughs> I won't, I won't work with my family, my wife. I, I, I can help, but like, I prefer, I, I tell her too. I'm like, I would rather you work with somebody else because if there's problems, I don't want to be responsible. <laughs> you know, I just think it creates a lot of tension where it doesn't need to be. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. But getting back to the food addictions and, and why people don't have success on programs. I think we have number one, a mindset issue in, in all of the world, you know, about we're looking, are we looking to help ourselves or are we looking for magic? You know, and, and I always will ask patients that, you know, are we, what are we looking for here? Because if you want magic, I can't help you. If you want, mm -hmm. if you want to put in the work, then then we've got the tools to help you. And so that 90% is reflective of that. Of course, you know, when people are looking at a program to help their gut their, or any program for that matter, they're always like, is this going to work for me? Mm -hmm. There's always that question. But food addiction is is a huge one. And I think probably one of the things that unfortunately is the downfall of the digestive system as us. I'm going to say cavemen um, mm -hmm. are trying like to navigate this or cave women, cave person as we're navigating this, this modern world of food. So I'd love to hear from you kind of when you start, get someone started on the program with all of the different Franken foods and, and, and not foods. What do you kind of tell folks? Where are you starting at? What are, what kind of things are some of the biggest like irritators? or maybe even precipitating mm. factors, barring other genetics and things. We'll get to that too for the gut. Always, 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 I remove gluten. Number one, I get arguments with it all the time. Well, gluten doesn't affect me. I've had people come to me and say, I can eat Taco Bell and feel fine. I'm like, honey, you are medicated. You are taking biologic drugs, which suppress and inhibit your immune responses. They block signaling systems. So you can't become inflamed. Of course you feel fine. Like we can't eat these things and get away with it. We convince ourselves we can um, so the big things I always remove, and I get arguments with it all the time, people trying to find substitute foods. Well, if I can't have gluten, what kind of bread can I have? I'm like, don't eat bread. Like, It's not hard to do. I don't believe in the incremental stuff. I know a lot of people go, well, I want to make small transitions. To me, you're either in or you're out. And if it is a debilitating enough disease where you are serious, right? Because I'm sure you've seen Crohn's colitis in your practice as well, where people come in. I've had people come in. Like I literally just brought a fella on today or yesterday it was who just joined the program. We spoke about a year and a half ago. And at that stage, he was, eh, it'd be nice to fix, but the mesalamine, the medication is working and it's fine. I'm not worried about it. I said, okay. I said, ultimately it's your decision. You can change the, the oil in your engine regularly, or one day you change the engine oil. We met last or a couple of days back now. And he just joined the program here recently and we got to change his engine because he didn't mm -hmm. change the oil. And that's fine. That's your prerogative. I've had other people come in who are 40, 50 bowel movements a day with blood and mucus and it's debilitating and every bowel movement feels like childbirth. And that's from a woman who's given birth many times. I believe her when she says it, that, you know, it's, it's everything. 
I'll do whatever it takes. And so it really is exactly what you said. It's a mindset thing. Are we willing to negotiate or is it a whatever it takes type of situation? And so I don't really subscribe to the incremental. Well, okay, cut your ice cream down. Now, I have to work with clients as individuals. And if that's going to make or break them, less is better than always. But in the cases of gluten and autoimmune disease, for example, if you eat a single bite of gluten, one bite can trigger inflammatory responses for up to three months. And so when the people say, well, you know, I have it once in a blue moon or once on a vacation or once with Christmas and once on a birthday, it's like, great, that's four times a year. Four times three months is 12 months. You're inflamed all year. So there are some non-negotiables where we will effectively have to start over. Uh, but for the most part, it is reducing and rejuvenating the immune system, reducing triggers and inflammation and rejuvenating the immune system in whatever way we can. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, gluten for sure is, it does seem to be quite a big trigger. And I think a lot of people are onto it, but like you said, it's like, we're going to go from one thing then to the gluten-free versions of bread, which I think might actually be worse now yeah, that I've kind of you. <laughs> looked at things more. I'm like, I, I think we just created more, more of a monster on, on that level. So when you're looking at folks in terms of, you know, more severe conditions like the Crohn's, you know, like the clitus, because like you said, multiple bowel movements a day, blood. I mean, this, this is more folks that, you know, who are listening, this is more than just your, I feel off a little bit here and there. This is like what can happen. So I'd love to talk a little bit about what do you hear from people, kind of like this guy who needs his oil changed, going to needing his engine changed. What are some of the early signs that things are going a little south in the gut and you're setting yourself up where there's possibility for things to develop into an autoimmune gut mm. condition? Well, there are two ways I see people get gut disease, particularly mm -hmm. the Crohn's and colitis. And I say anyone can get it. It's not just genetic. The common ideology in Western medicine is it's idiopathic, meaning no known cause. It's genetic, which means it's inevitable or it might be environmental and who knows what it is. But we look statistically at what's happening to it, right? There, there are really two ways that we end up getting it. And if we look at the data, we can really establish this firmer. And I will, I will refute anybody who says it's always genetic, it's always idiopathic or unknown. Because back in 1990, I just did a lecture on this one with these stats too. So I can, I'll cite anybody who wants them, feel free to ask me for the, for the show notes from this one. Yeah. Uh, but back in 1990, as per the CDC, and the different estimates said between one and a half to three million cases of inflammatory bowel disease worldwide being actively seen and treated by medical professionals. That's in the system. One could argue there were maybe more. And so let's say one and a half to three million. 30 years later, as per 2020, the last time the data was collected, it was north of seven million. So how do we two and a half to five X cases and call it idiopathic? If it's not a known cause, you better figure it out pretty fast. The second one is to say it's just genetic. I had a client in recently in his mid twenties uh, and his doctor said, well, it's because you're Jewish. And so you're more likely it just happens. It's in your family. I, I laugh too. I'm like, that is the stupidest. <laughs> That's like, what a cop out answer. And so we did a proper history and figured it out. It turns out it was a mold infection, but that's another topic for another time maybe. Um, but the, the studies say it's just genetic. But if it's just genetic, out of those 7 million cases worldwide, how are 50% of them residing in North America, what is, which is less than 5% of the world population? That is a statistical impossibility, or at the very least, an extreme improbability. And so it can't be, if it's idiopathic, you better figure it out. We can attribute to environmental. We can talk about pesticide usage going up. You know, we have, what is it? We had 900 
give or take, pesticides approved in 1990 for use in North America, now at 17,000. We have 19 times the variety of pesticides being used. We have four times the amount in poundage, a billion pounds a year on top of everything else. It's no wonder. So I don't think it's idiopathic. I think we're just not looking. And so the two ways I see people get them are like this 20-year-old kid, right? Talked about how we get this gut disease. His doctor said, it's your genetics. There's nothing we can do. I said, okay, let's do a proper history. In about 15 minutes, we figured out when he got the disease, he started a new job in HVAC. He didn't mm. wear his PPE. Two months into his job, he was diagnosed with IBS. Six months after that, he was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis IBD. I thought, well, it's got to be a mold infection. I said, let's confirm it. Got a urine test done. Lo and behold, it was a mold infection, ochratoxin A, very common mold to get from air and environment. Uh, and that's known to cause bowel disease, kidney and liver issues. So that was an easy one to figure out. So that's your acute. That's the number one way I see people get it. Or I should say one of the top two ways rather is acute infection. That's going to be excessive antibiotic consumption and usage. It's going to be medication, mold infection, some kind of disruption to the gut microbiome. It's going to be something that acutely over days, weeks, or a few months causes this problem. On the other hand, I see accumulation or cumulative wear and tear. And I use the analogy of like wearing a pair of shoes and going hiking, but not wearing socks where that heel rubs a bit, gets red, gets raw, blisters and bleeds. And now you have this tear. And the same thing I see happens. Maybe 20 years ago, you got your gallbladder out on top of eating poorly, on top of drinking and this and that. And that accumulation process of wear and tear under a high stress lifestyle and you know occasional drug use or whatever it was, eventually wore down that until it started bleeding. And that's another way I see it come on. But I have never seen anybody who's just born with ulcerative colitis as a baby with no known causes or issues. And the, the youngest one I've seen was a four-year-old um, who came in and that was also an environmental issue due to mold. A five-year-old I had in due to mold. I see a lot of mold in my practice, um, but those are the issues we see. And so to say they're unknown, I think is silly. I just don't think we're looking hard enough. Or we're it's not meta, let's say beneficial for someone's pocket. Let's, let's go mm. there. You know, it's, it's hard to say, it's hard to say. And, and it, it, but there, it's so obvious to me too. And mold does seem to be a thing lately in terms of really picking up traction in terms of exposures with gut. Now, are you, mm. are you still in, I know you're in Canada. Where, where do you practice out of in Canada? Where, where are you guys seeing people? I, I know you do virtual. So I'm guess I'm saying yeah. what, if you're seeing four-year-olds, they're probably all over North America or anywhere oh, yeah. in the world at this point. I, I do work worldwide. Um, thanks to COVID, um, the HIPAA yeah. compliance and all that stuff has changed dramatically since COVID. And even zoom has like a health practitioner's HIPAA approved version, um, which is really nice. So we can make sure the, the health information protection is taken care of. So we do work globally. I'm based in Calgary, Alberta, but we do work yeah. all over the world. And it's interesting to me to see as well, because different areas of the world have different correlations. You know, right. I'm working with somebody right now, for example, who grew up in Indonesia till about the age of 10. She had malaria. She had a bunch of issues. And looking back, a lot of the women, for example, down at the fish market had goiters. And so we're going, okay, so back to environmental and root causes. It's always root cause because these diseases don't just fall out of the sky and drop on your head. Something right. has to happen. And so we're able to trace back parasitic issues, malaria infections, um, heavy metal toxicity, and all kinds of things in her body from when she was a little girl that translated to this wear and tear now, which led to this precipitation of events. Um, but that's what it is. It's thorough history taking. But you're so right, Janine. Unfortunately, it's worth the healthcare industry in North America and US particularly is $4.5 trillion per year. And if we look at businesses, the best Revenue model is a subscription model. And if you can get people on medications for life, 
it's incredibly profitable. I mean, gut health and gut disease alone is almost a trillion dollars. It gets 800 million plus or 800 billion rather plus per year. And so that's the gut health industry alone. It's, it's bizarre. I don't know if it's happening in Canada like it is here. I haven't watched TV when I've been in Canada recently, but in the US, it's like constant immunosuppressive medication commercials every like between the the lawyers, it's like lawyers and medical medicines that are getting pushed. It's like, wow, this is crazy. But you know, neither here nor there. What I was kind of wondering about and, and why I asked the geographic um location and, and if you're noticing anything from certain clients from certain regions, if if there is a, a connection in that case, because you you alluded to the North America being very heavy on like gluten and, and, you know, things of that nature, but mold does seem to be something that, like I was saying, seeing very, very often, are you using, so it sounds like maybe the mycotox test, um, from Great Plains for the, looking at the urine mold toxins. Mm. Are you doing any other testing? Are you using GI maps and seeing what shows up there? I'm curious where it's showing up, um, for folks, is it showing the metabolism with the urine or is it, are you actually seeing stuff in stool too? On, on these cases? Great question. It depends on the individual. Um, I'm not a big fan of over-testing, as I'm sure you mm-hmm. aren't either. It gets very expensive, 100 bucks here, 500 bucks there. Uh, it depends. So for example, if I have someone with IBD and autism, I'm likely to do an oat test or your organic acid test, as mm-hmm. well as like a, a maybe a heavy metals hair analysis. Mm-hmm. If I get somebody coming in who's a child, I do a big fan of organic acid testing as well. Um, Adults with a wear and tear history, it might be a GI map, so we can see what's going on that way. It just really depends. And all of them are tools. And I think a lot of people go out there and ask a practitioner, you know, what's the test I can do? Because we always want to save money. Unfortunately, we do compromise money for health. The challenge is it's health we can live with. If your doctor said you have cancer and you are going to die tomorrow, but we can fix this. It's going to cost you half a million dollars. You started GoFundMe, you get a loan, you refinance your home. Like you do whatever you had to do because you have a guarantee of success. The problem is, right, a bowel surgery in the USA, it's about $230,000 to remove a colon after everything. Insurance pays for most of it. You'll still be on the hook for 15 to 20 grand, which will pay off over years. Um, whereas you work with a private practitioner for maybe two to 5,000, whatever it might cost, and you can reverse it and forget you've ever had the disease. Um, I can't say the words cure, treat, or heal, but that that's the difference, right? Is everybody has a different need and we don't have the reach that these pharmaceutical and drug companies and really the American healthcare system are just individual practitioners. And so I don't like over-testing. I test where necessary, but it takes time. An interview is 30 minutes to an hour at minimum to get a history. Then we do intake paperwork. Then we do lab work. Then we do this and that. Uh, And then sometimes I bring in other practitioners. I have two phenomenal practitioners working with me now just starting this month. Uh, One's actually a nurse from the FLCCC. The other one, he's my bloody Sherlock Holmes. I'm so excited to get him out here because nobody knows who he is. But this dude has been my Rosetta Stone. Like when I'm stuck on something, I bring it to him. I'm like, hey, Curtis, I have a question. Here's what he looks at it for three seconds. Oh yeah, here's what you're missing. And boom, they're fixed. Like this dude doesn't even lab test. And so we have an amazing team around us um, to be able to dig into these histories. But that's just it. It costs time and money. And you know, people have more emotional security in going to the doctor and removing a colon than they do spending a couple thousand bucks in working with a holistic practitioner to possibly reverse this thing for the rest of their lives. And so it is a bit of a dichotomy, which is challenging. But I mean, you brought up drug companies and commercials. That's all it is. I think it's 70 some odd percent of all commercials, 
all commercials in North America are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. 14%, I believe, are fast food companies. I might be mixing up my stats from New Zealand, uh, but something like that. The other 10, 20% are kind of whatever, like kids, toys and stuff. But it's amazing. <laughs> there was a stat I got back in you know college years. I was you know 2013 or something, 2012. And it was something like um, pharmaceutical companies spend 17 times more on advertisement than they do research and development because it's a business model, right? And yeah. Martin Screlly, voted the most hated man in America, is kind of the fall guy for big pharma, was on record quoted saying, we are in the business of making money. We have a responsibility to our shareholders. We're not in the business of curing people. And that right there tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, it's it's sad. It's really sad. And and unfortunately, I mean, we do work in this realm of, of the functional medicine space where we do get a bad rap because a lot of docs are running every test under the sun, whether they need to Money. or not. Yeah. And unfortunately, now we've we've transitioned medical, you know, pharmaceutical model to to this model. And, and it's one of those things that for me, I, I, I cringe because I feel like, oh, man, getting healthy shouldn't have to be an arm and leg. And, and mm -hmm. so, you know, a couple of thousand dollars to, to really be able to turn things around. I mean, it's priceless in this case, it's priceless when you can get to this state um, of being able to help. So, you know, one of the things that I get a lot um, of questions about from folks is, okay, we do the testing or we do a lot of intake, which I think intake gives you a heck of a lot more clues on the Sherlock Holmes, like you're saying department than, than a lot of the testing. I, I personally believe, but you do this, you get all the info and folks are, are going to be like, okay, they're, they're going into it knowing that you're probably going to change the diet, but they're also going to be like supplements. Do I need a probiotic? That's always question number one that I always get. Mm -hmm. And especially with Crohn's and colitis, what about probiotics? The next one is, okay, gut lining repair. Is it, are we looking at glutamines? Are, are we looking at tributrins? Are we looking at bone broths, collagens, et cetera? All the things on the market. I'm curious just kind of what a what a restorative plan looks like when you're talking like interventions on the natural side of things. That is a great question. And I love talking to healthcare practitioners. You guys just ask the best questions. Here's my thought on this. Everything obviously is nuanced, right? No patient mm -hmm. or client is going to be the same. Exactly. So I look at restoration first thing. If you're hiking in a pair of shoes with no socks, the first thing you got to do is put some bloody socks on or take the shoe off. You have to stop the insult. And unfortunately, the, the, the healthcare education is pretty piss poor. I mean, look at the healthcare system. I call it sick care because it really is. We put people on meds. And that's when I was a paramedic. I was in reactive medicine. We get a medication, take them to the hospital. They were sick for a heart issue or whatever it was. They get a new medication or a new dose of the same. They get sent back. I pick them up until they died. And that was just the rinse and repeat cycle. And so what we want to look at here for people is, is what is the root or at least the root causes and contributing factors. It's often very multifactorial. It's very layered. So again, is it mold? Is it antibiotics? Is it family history? How much is genetic? What is food? What about food sensitivities, allergy responses? What is going on in your system leading to these things? And so a restorative process, number one, we have to figure out all causes, contributing factors. The very first week in my program, clients come through, they do a toxicity profile of their home where everything, the VOCs from like the bloody paint in your home isn't new. That new car smell that you get, that's formaldehyde, right? These <laughs> things that create chemicals, which create toxins in the body. I have them look at perfumes, candles, shampoos, carpet, like all these different things we don't consider. 
Now, in the grand scheme, they're often a smaller scale, but for the very small percentage that I feel I see in my practice, a very small percentage were actually genetic autoimmune. The rest are on the spectrum, but in my experience, aren't truly autoimmune yet. Mm-hmm. The vast majority, like 70, 80% that I see. Um, so they have lots of room to recover, right? They're on that spectrum, but not full blown yet. And those things are all contributors. It matters more, the true autoimmunity. I find they do matter more for those people, these toxic profiles in the home. But for everyone, it's worth doing. That's number one. Take away the things that are causing the insult in the first place. Number two, we want to clean things out, right? I look at it where if we have, for example, somebody with bacterial dysbiosis, for the listeners, that's just imbalance in bacteria. That's, you know, maybe you have an overgrowth of candida. Maybe it's toxins like mold toxins. Maybe you're recirculating your bile due to some other medical markers we can check for where the toxins are bound to. And so we have to empty that cup because your body has these toxins in them, within them from whatever they're being created, the inflammation, whatever it is, that's what's building. You have detox pathways in the body through your liver, your skin, your lymphs, even your lungs, your kidneys, right? All these things can push toxins out. But often those toxic detox pathways get uh, blocked up, they get junked up. So we have to detoxify and promote natural detoxification, get your body to empty out first. And then we can start clearing out these other ones within the system, right? So we have to reduce the insult, promote detoxification, and then detoxify the toxins themselves and start to balance and rejuvenate the immune system. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Bland talks about this. We had a great conversation just, it was maybe a week or two ago. And again, for the listeners, he's the father of functional medicine. Jeffrey Bland's work is the reason we have functional medicine in North America today. And he talks about immunorejuvenation. We often talk about immune boosting. Take Mm -hmm. this, take that herb, take that supplement, take this vitamin that boosts the immune system. But if you have imbalances, that's where autoimmunity comes from. It's imbalances in the immune system. You could call it confusion where the different pathways are one's dominant over the other. These immune boosting properties might feed that domination of one pathway. So instead, let's rejuvenate. Let's give your body what it needs to heal and balance itself. And that's effectively what we have to do. Now it's Obviously, as you know, as a practitioner, it, it's it's years and years of specializing to be able to make that sound like a smooth process. But the idea is it's very possible. You find the roots and contributing factors, you remove those first, and then you just clean up and repair the damage. That's as simple as it gets. And unfortunately, in medicine, we go, well, here are your symptoms, right? Those symptoms get you classified as here's your diagnosis. If there's no diagnosis, millions of patients all over the world unhappy with care go, well, my doctor don't know what's wrong with me. They don't know how to fix me. They don't, they can't diagnose me, which means they can't help you because they can't give you a drug because that drug is for that diagnosis. So the saying it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's not broke, don't bother. That's Western medicine. They wait till it breaks and then they give you drugs. On the other hand, we want to figure out before it breaks, right? Or if it's on the way to breaking. And it's just a very different way of looking at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a different process when you're running down things. And one of the things you mentioned was diagnoses. And I think for a lot of people, we, we, we've all grown up in that environment, you know, of you you must have a diagnosis, diagnosis to be able to have a treatment, even with alternative care. Same thing goes with alternative options like medication, like the probiotic, the glutamine, the, all these Mm -hmm. things. I mean, they're just like, the alternative to the pharmaceutical, you know, attenuate the immune system, coat the gut, you name it, right? Mm-hmm. The glutamine I call kind of like the Pepto-Bismol of, you know, the natural <laughs> version for for gut health and gut soothing. But it's 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 
what happens, right? And so a lot of people will come to me, no doubt, and be like, probiotics, do I need one? Do I not? Mm. And that is one of the really great questions that I'd love to pose to you in terms of as a whole, what's your opinion on probiotics when it comes down to the process of actually restoring your gut? Do you wait till later? Do you even consider them? What's your, what's your thought? Mm. Also very nuanced as with all things. And, yeah. and I, some people love that I don't give straight answers. Some people hate it because they want they want magic, right? Like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, probiotics are not magic. And so, you know, if I'm going to use probiotics, typically I'll wait till I have a GI map or at the very least a history. Um, if I get somebody who was, I got a client right now, for example, who was C-section birth and strictly bottle fed, never breastfed. I'm mm-hmm. giving them some spore probiotics and some very basics to start regrowing some of the stuff he's lacking. Um, so that's something I might do in that regard. But you know, I don't think there's a best probiotic to use because it's all contextual. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on the individual, depends on the person. In my practice, something I see depleted often, but not every time, is one called acromancia. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of popularity in the press recently. It's known for balancing immune systems and glucose metabolism and even estrogens and all kinds of great stuff that it does. But people with complex issues like autoimmunity, PCOS, and other challenges, acromancia above and beyond the normal dosage goes, it's no longer therapeutic. It can actually cause problems because these probiotics act as signaling molecules to certain things within the body and the brain, to the immune system and all over the place. And so I choose them very specifically. But if I have a GI map, for example, right? And I see someone is depleted, then I can utilize that effectively. So maybe they're depleted on one strain. I can find a spore probiotic that will grow in culture, but a lot of them don't, or I'll choose specific strains. So if someone comes in, for example, with maybe a SIBO condition or an overgrowth or has a class of bacteria called methanogens, which produce methane, I might use lactobacillus reuteri, which is a very specific strain that's been shown in evidence to reduce overgrowth as well as methanogens. Or if someone has candida overgrowth, I might use Saccharomyces boulardii because that's been shown to inhibit. Or someone going through antibiotic treatment who has a history of C. diff, I use a certain combination of specific lactobacillus or bifidobacterium strains, different genus are shown to reduce the probability or even completely prevent them from getting a C. diff infection. Some people with depression or anxiety, I might use specific strains of bacteria known to boost those types of serotonin and other neurotransmitters. And so I think we have to treat them like medicine to just throw them into a body, not knowing what we're having in abundance or what we're lacking, we could be putting gasoline on a fire, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a probiotic, maybe it's lactobacillus, a very common one that you'll see in all kinds of probiotics at the grocery store, bifidobacterium, like acidophilus, right? These different types of things. If you have an abundance in your gut already and you start adding them in, you might make it worse. And so I think it's very nuanced and there's no silver bullet. There's no probiotic capsule or pill to fix anybody ever. And that's that's sort of my non-direct opinion on those. No, it's great. I mean, I think it's great for people to hear that because it is thought of as being like the magic, you know, thing. Oh, I'll just take a probiotic. And it's it's much like now seems like the alternative. You just take a pill and it just goes away. Now we've once again looped back into traditional medical society. And you know, no, no fault of anyone. It's just how we how we think. And, mm-hmm. and the way it goes. Now, in terms of someone that's actually bleeding, turning things around, obviously you take out the inflammatory foods based on history and what's kind of got them 
them irritated. Is there actually anything that you do for supporting the gut lining based on certain conditions? If you want to give us kind of a rundown, do you, do you buy into the bone broths? Do you do the collagens? What about BPC-157? Kind of what's mm. the, the, the peptide, you know, kind of what's, what are you guys seeing works well for certain conditions or in certain types of individuals, if you will? Great question. Yeah. You mentioned the tributyrin, for example, mm -hmm. or like a, you know, the more available form of butyrate is a big one. Mm -hmm. So I look at bacteria, right? Like fish in a fishbowl, mm -hmm. where you have your prebiotics of the food, the probiotic living organism is your fish and the postbiotics are the fish poop mm -hmm. and bacteria poop good things and they poop bad things. It depends on the fish, depends on the ecosystem. And Butyrate is one of those ones where in high doses, like four to six grams a day spread out, have been shown very beneficial in correcting gut dysbiosis, helping inflammation, repairing gut lining, all kinds of stuff. But it can get expensive and the pills smell and taste like old cheese. Um, so that's not very nice by itself. Um, but peptides can be great. I've seen people, for example, if it's autoimmunity, you know, I've worked with doctors, for example, because a lot of these things I won't touch on my own regard for liability reasons as well. Uh, but we've used combinations of peptides like thymosin alpha-1, BPC-157, and pharmaceuticals like low-dose naltrexone to actually modulate the immune system. And the big difference between biologics that they commonly use for these things and you know, immunomodulators is biologics are suppressives. They stop the chemical signaling to the immune system, which creates the inflammation. Now, inflammation is a good thing. We want it because it brings healing properties. It sensitizes the area, causes irritability and nerves leading to pain. But inflammation is good. Inflammation is what we want to have inside of us when we're sick. But it's this chronic inflammation, sustained inflammation, hyper elevation and cytokine responses and lymphocytes that destroy tissues in the area. That causes problems. So they suppress the immune system. But that's clearly an imbalance. So like we talked about, one, address why the immune system is reacting. But two, we have to correct the imbalance. And that imbalance can be very easily addressed a lot of the time by using these immunomodulators where they can mm -hmm. modify the immune responses rather than suppressing and stopping them altogether. And so, you know, what do I use to repair a gut? Sometimes it's bone broth. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's meat broth. If somebody has histamine issues, I'm not giving them bone broth because of the histamine content. Um, if, you know, people don't like injections, BPC is a gastric stable peptide. You can use it under the tongue and, you know, ingest, you could also inject. But it, it seems to be ingested is better for that one anyways. Um, thymosin alpha-1, very expensive. Thymogen can be very expensive. Uh, and so these things add up. And so it just depends on the person. Mm -hmm. If we're dealing with inflammatory issues, I might use DGL. Uh, you mm -hmm. can use licorice, which can be great, but watch for blood pressure issues, right? So we can use that deglycerinated version. Um, we can use slippery elm. We can use aloe. There's all kinds of stuff. But we'll have to look at these things as having a strategy. Otherwise it becomes plant-based medication. We're just yeah. throwing curcumin. We're just throwing these things at it and you end up on 20 supplements a day for the rest of your life. And so if we're not targeting a strategy and using them in phases with a purpose, it becomes a big waste of money. And you have, you pee half of it out, you got expensive urine. And so we just have to use them very specifically and strategically. That's really important for folks to be thinking about, because that is the one thing that, you know, have I done it in the past when I, as I was evolving as a practitioner, of course, um, now it's, it's definitely my goal to get folks down off of so many things. Oh, look at that cute pup. This is uh, Bruce. <laughs> hi, Bruce. You're cute. So knows it. <laughs> they all do. They all do. <laughs> so, you know, when I look at 
the medications, right? And 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 let's talk about them for a minute because I think a lot of people, like you had mentioned when we first started, like, hey, I'm eating Taco Bell and it doesn't bother me. Well, yeah, you're on a biologic, meaning your immune system of your gut is doing nothing yeah. to help you. So essentially, yes, we've shut down the immune system, but at the same time, the implications for the gut lining, you're just masking, correct? I mean, I, I would love to hear your kind of description of how you describe this to folks in terms of using a biologic and what's really happening in in their body by using a biologic. Oh, so glad you asked. I, I, so I do, I have a Facebook group that I do lives every single week. I do a Facebook live and um, it's Thursday today, Tuesday, I just did one on biologics. So timing is just perfect. So I look at it this way, right? Drugs, we have drugs like mesalamine, very common one, right? It reduces mm -hmm. prostaglandin activity, which is like a hormone-like inflammatory mediator. We have prednisone or budesonide, which are corticosteroids. They suppress immune responses. Uh, re immune responses. We have immunomodulators, so your methotrexate, your Imuran, right? They modify the immune responses. We have, there's a newer class called JAK inhibitors, like Zelgens, right? Mm -hmm. They block transmit signals from these cytokine or these inflammatory receptors. So we're, we're, we're shutting down, right? Picture this. If you have company over at your house, right? If they're really relaxed and comfortable and happy, that's good company. But if they have tape over their mouth and their hands are tied behind the back, they're a hostage. They don't make very good company. And the same thing happens in the body, right? We use these biologics, which, because your body is still inflamed, right? You put tape over its mouth and it's still screaming, but you're like, look, I can't hear it. I fixed it. We're better now. It doesn't work that way, right? Just because we've suppressed it. And all these drugs, Remicade, right? It's a, what we call a TNF inhibitor. Um, uh, uh, Simsia is another one. It's a TNF inhibitor. Um, there's all kinds of these drugs, right? Intivio, right? It, yep. It's an integrin biologic. It's an integrin antagonist. So it stops this integrin response. Uh, Humira, right? These monoclonal antibodies, Stellara, all of these put tape over the body's mouth. They suppress the immune system, but they don't stop it from screaming. What these immunomodulators do, if it really is autoimmune, is they just calm it down. They give it an Ativan. It just sits there and goes, okay, I'm better now. I'm not perfect, but I'm under control. And then we can start to work at the factors, right, that are contributing to it. And so I tell people, no matter what drug you take, no matter what class of drug, whether it's a monoclonal antibody, if it is a... Um, a biologic of some sort, if it's a corticosteroid, whatever it is, you are stopping the immune system from doing its job and we are just inhibiting the symptoms, but we are never asking why. Your doctor goes, look, hey, you're inflamed. Okay, here's your diagnosis, here's your drug. Never do they go before that and go, you're inflamed, but why? Functional medicine says what inflamed you in the first place. We chalk it up to autoimmunity, idiopathic, unknown, or environmental, and we kind of guess and we just suppress it because your average physician gets seven to nine minutes with you inside of a clinic to discuss what's going on, what's changed, here's a new drug, see you later, to meet their quotas for the insurance-driven system to get paid at the end of the day. And so even physicians who mean well, their hands are tied, right? That sucks. There are physicians who mean harm. There are people who've gone to prison for over-prescribing cancer drugs. Doctor in Detroit, Michigan was prescribing cancer drugs for years to people who never had it because he got a kickback. And that's another issue is financial incentive. And so we need to find the root cause, sit down for an hour, do an interview, go through a history, do the right testing that you need, and you can actually figure out why you are inflamed. Because if you don't, over time, that severity spectrum, that heel in the shoe rubbing raw will get worse until it blisters and bleeds. And now you are truly autoimmune and it will be a lifelong issue. But I've had people come in and fix it in weeks, fix it in months, and they're fine. 
it just depends on finding the root cause and how good you are at doing that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's definitely an art. It's definitely an art and also having someone working with you and giving you full transparency, mm. because that's part of it where I've run into folks who didn't want to tell me some of their habits. Right. And, and that's where it's really incredibly important to be able to get the full picture. Now, a few weeks to a few months um, to possibly years, what's the average time to turn around someone that let's say has a moderate kind of IBS, Crohn's, colitis kind of situation? And then what's the average time for someone that's a little bit more severe coming in? Mm. Yeah, great question. So I say on average, it'll take one to two months per year you've had the issue, give or take. I think that's a fair estimate. But again, that's 60, 70% accurate. Everyone's different. I've had people come in who theirs was a dietary wear and tear issue, diagnosed with IBD, right? Very poor diet, standard American, fast food, fried food, packaged food, three weeks. Their symptoms are completely gone. And within two months, three months, they have no issues. But you know, they had it for say three years. There's your one month for three years. I've had people come in after 16 years who are symptom-free in as little as three weeks, four weeks, but they obviously still have a lot of issues or it's a hair trigger. One wrong step, one stressful day, and boom, it pops off. They take months, sometimes years to correct. And so everyone's going to be different, but I, I think that's a fair estimate is one to two months of very dedicated, very strict, unwavering correction for every year you've had the problem. And you can expect to see some very good results. Wow. So getting off meds is something that a lot of folks talk to me about. They're always like, okay, but I'm on Intubio. I've been on Intubio or, you know, I'm due for another shot of X, Y, or Z. What do you guys do when it comes to coming off of meds or working with someone who's on meds and trying to figure out how they get off? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. And it's actually one of the most common ones is, can I even do a program if I'm on drugs? Do I have mm -hmm. to come off drugs? Are you going to take me off my drugs? And obviously for legal and liability reasons, I'm not a medical doctor. I can't okay. tell you to come off your drugs. I'm not your doctor. I can't tell you to come off drugs. And so what I say to people, I'm actually a big fan of the integrative medicine approach. And so for those who don't know, Integrative medicine is the integration of other practices with Western medicine. It's taking all things kind of inclusive. And so for me, if I get somebody coming in who's on prednisone, right? Like if your quality of life is so terrible, you can't do anything. You can't go to work. You can't play with your kids. You can't eat food. You can't take supplements. It's going to be hard for on the, being on the program anyways. And so use the medications. That's great. It's, it's even easier. If you're on medications and still having symptoms, it becomes even easier because then we can go through, keep your quality of life better and like know when you're getting better. You say, hey, look, I've been on Intivio for two years. I'm still having 15 bowel movements a day. It's been a month. I'm down to five. I feel amazing. I thought, great. So now it's time for you to talk to your doctor and let them know what's happening and say, hey, would you support me? And many actually don't. Would you support me in either lengthening the time between infusions or reducing my medication or something? Some say, absolutely. It's pretty rare. I'd say, you know, maybe one in five. Um, the rest say, no. I've had a client who came in with Crohn's disease, 12 weeks. Hers was a gluten issue and some other things. It was actually quite that simple but 12 weeks and she was in full clinical histological remission. She had a CT enterography done, no signs of Crohn's, blood work, perfectly clear. And her doctor goes, well, I'd still like you on Intivio. She goes, why? Well, because you have Crohn's disease. She's like, yeah, but I don't have symptoms. She says, well, you have Crohn's, so take the drugs. Like, what, what is the rationale? It doesn't make sense. And so 
she tried to show her, said, here's the program. Here's my GI maps. Here's what I did. She goes, I'm not interested in seeing that. She goes, great. I'm not interested in taking a Tivio. And so it, it's sometimes it's supported by doctors, but that's the process. If you're on them already, stay on them. I'm not going to tell you. I don't want to tell you, nor can I tell you to come off, but it's up to you to become your own advocate. And I can advocate on your behalf. If you give me permission to email or talk to your doctor and say, can we do this and come off? Here's the rationale. Here's what we've done. You'd be surprised, maybe or maybe not, how few doctors will actually indulge me in a conversation. It's not as common as people think. They often think, well, my doctor wants me to get better. So whatever it takes, they'll have a conversation. One, a lot of them are just too busy because they're required by the system to see 30 plus patients, 40 patients a day, which means they don't have the time. Two, a lot of them are too busy and overwhelmed to learn this information. Three, many don't care and refuse to learn it. I've seen a lot of that as yeah. well. And so unfortunately, the patient has to advocate for themselves and say, absolutely not. I will not take this or I want to do this instead. And your doctor might fire you and say, you're non-compliant out of my sight, be gone with you, um, which we've seen a fair bit as well. Some say, Ugh, whatever, do what you want to do. And some are supportive, but that's between you and your doctor. Um, and so long answer short, medications are perfectly fine, but ultimately I don't see them as a solution. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I'd absolutely agree on that. And and yes, those of you who are listening, talking to your doctor may or may not go well. You know your doc, you know their opinions. You can pretty much tell, um, you know, having been a naturopath for 17 plus years, I am well own the fact that I am a quack doc and and baddies <laughs> all get out. And and I know that, you know, a lot of people are like, can you talk to my doc? I'm like, <laughs> well, I'll try. Um, you know, and, and like you said, you know, I've met some very amazing doctors out there in, in the course of, of time. And there are some really great ones. And, and a lot of folks of will ask me, you know, why do you work with certain doc? You know, why, why do you refer to only this particular doc? And I'm like, cause they'll talk to me and they're open yeah. to, to it. And, and so anyway, it's, it's, it is so much about self advocating in any industry, even in, even in working in the functional medicine you know, you, you guys are in charge. So that's the big thing, you know, we want mm -hmm. folks to be thinking about. So before we, before we wrap up and tell folks how to find you, I think what I would love to hear is kind of what's, what's been your favorite part of, of working with folks with the digestive system disorders and, and, and thing, I'm going to call them disorders. Cause I think it's just a little glitch in the system. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your favorite part about it? What do you love? Do you love the investigation? Do you love meeting people? Do you love seeing the progress? Obviously we all do, but I would love to hear what lights you up about it. It's the personal stories. Um, I, one of the things we're not supposed to do in medicine is get attached to our patients, right? My clients, I do. I try mm -hmm. not to because you know it is still like a client-patient or, or client and uh, practitioner relationship, but it's hard not to. You know, uh, I think I mentioned this little boy I was working with who's five years old, diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and his doctor wanted him on the biologics and the drugs. And they tried the prednisone and this and that, and he wasn't getting any better. And this little boy is losing weight. He's pale and gray in color. He's not feeling good. And five to nine is really when development starts, right? That prefrontal cortex, frontal lobes. Like if you have a problem, you will have developmental delays for the rest of your life, right? You will always be behind your peers if we don't get this now. And this little boy, like he had joint pain. He was limping around. And his mom came to see me just desperate. And we we took a look at his GI map and it was one of the worst I've seen in my entire professional career. I thought it doesn't make sense. His doctor didn't even do a GI map one, but two, it doesn't add up because he doesn't have a lifetime of antibiotics or drug use or abuse to his microbiome. It shouldn't look like this. Something had to cause it. Well, the number one thing I see in kids 
that causes these types of GI maps and these type of immune responses is mold. So we ran a urine test and lo and behold, he had, he had what, 12 or 13, some odd, maybe 15 different strains of mycotoxins and mold toxins in his body, leading to all this inflammation. It even call, creates what we call pleomorphing or changing of the morphology of gut bacteria, which caused this problem in the first place. And that right there was the first thing we had to do is get him out of the environment. So right away, they tested the home, mold everywhere. Thought, okay, great. Like, even though they don't see mold damage, there can be mold in your home. You may not see it. And so they got a trailer right away. He slept in the trailer with dad. And within five days, he was already feeling substantially better. His limp went away. He was feeling phenomenal. In this poor family, 40% of all homes in the USA are reported to have some kind of mold issue. This poor family has moved something like 14 times in the last, I don't know, six months, trying to find a rental while their home is being remediated that has no mold. They finally found one. And so it's it's a process, but that to me is the greatest. So to get out of the rat race, mm. how do folks find you? You also have your podcast too. I, we definitely should bring that up so folks can get more information because you've got some really great short tips and longer information and great docs you've interviewed as well. So, so give us the scoop in terms of how can folks find you? How can folks link up to work with you and tell us about the reversible podcast? Sure. Best way, easiest way to find me, we do work worldwide, is through gutsolution.ca, not .com, gutsolution.ca. Um, that's the Canadian one. The other one, I'm trying to get a hold of the rights for that. It's just kind of a dead website right now. Ah. But if you head to gutsolution.ca, you can contact us, ask questions, get help with your IBD. You can access the podcast there as well, whatever you need. Uh, and that one you did mention, it is called Reversible. That's Reverse Able, the ultimate gut health podcast. And it's exactly what you said, Janine. We have uh, some fantastic, brilliant, famous somebody, some doctor or healthcare professional or specialist once a week talking about whatever aspect of our world influences our gut, how our gut influences our world, health conditions, anxiety, depression. We have um, Joel Salatin, if you've ever seen Food Inc. I'm really excited to publish his, uh, world's most famous farmer, talking about bioregenerative organic farming. Nice. We have homesteaders. We have all kinds to just talk about your health and the gut connection between all of it. And we do as well once a week. It's a short where you can write in as a listener, submit a question. We'll make an episode for you answering that question. Uh, and that can all be found directly through gutsolution.ca. Awesome. You know, I, I love the fact that you're doing a lot of the, the interviews with the homesteaders and the, the farmer folks, as we we mentioned before we hit record. I feel like I sometimes should have lived in 1896 because I love to garden. I love to grow mm -hmm. my food. We live on a farm that isn't really ours, but we have a, an acre on a 400 surrounded by a 400 acre farm. And I love it because it's oh, like beautiful. Oh, growing. Um, But I, I think that's a lot of this is where, where we're at. We need to help educate folks on how to grow their own food, how to get out of the system. And, and that mm. also is a huge impact on how we can help the gut too. Yeah. I, I think these modern diseases require old fashioned solutions. A, a lot of the yeah. time they really do. You know, uh, there's a direct correlation between the spike in these diseases and the modern food supply, food chains, food systems, additives, and chemicals. And so modern diseases require old-fashioned solutions a lot of the time. Oh, well said. Well said. Great point to, to just wrap this whole podcast up. Gosh, Josh, so much information. I think this answered a lot of questions for folks that at least what I hear in my practice and a lot of um, folks that come to me looking for solutions, especially for gut health. I look forward to putting this podcast out and, and sharing all of your information. Thank you so much for what you do. 
It's been a pleasure to share it. Thanks so much for allowing me to just have the platform to get this information to the world where I believe it absolutely belongs. Absolutely. 100%. Hey, fellow health junkie. Thanks for listening to the Health Fix Podcast. If you enjoyed tuning in, please help support me to get the word out about the podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review, and just get that word out. Thanks again for listening.